Turn in your Bible, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. We're going to read verses 9 through 19. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 19. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Deuteronomy. Let's bow together in a word of prayer, please. Our Father, we pray tonight that the Spirit of Jesus will move across this place. May Satan be rebuked. We know that the devil tries to make inroads into the work of the Lord, into the lives of thy people. And we pray that the Spirit of Jesus will move in such power tonight that there will be the anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon the Word and upon the message and the messenger. And may we be just be a channel of grace through which God's love can pour to others. Lord, I want to humble myself before you and ask that the Spirit of Christ would have his way in the lives of people, send revival to our people, to our hearts, and give us the warning concerning the matters we discussed tonight. We pray that those who are here without Jesus will come to Christ, that those who are saved will enter a new and deeper walk with the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, <clears throat> When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who maketh his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or who useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter of mediums, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations whom thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not permitted thee to do this. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now we can read the rest of this chapter. It is a statement to God's people who were going into the land of Canaan after they had come out of Egyptian bondage and crossed the Red Sea 
by the miraculous power of God on dry land. They had wandered aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years after they had had faith failure at Kadesh Barnea and had failed to go in and possess the land that God had already given them with no battle at all. Just go in and God will give it to you. But they failed because all they saw were the giants and the difficulties. And they did not understand that the battle belongs to God. And so they wandered aimlessly for 40 years in the wilderness. And then they came to Mount Nebo. And Moses, God's servant, was about to die. And God said, I want you to challenge the people that when they go into the land of Canaan, they're going to have to battle for it. They're going to have to fight for it, fight every inch. And in the land of Canaan are people who use mediums and enchanters and fortune tellers. And they are under the possession and power of the devil. And you are to wipe them out and have nothing to do with them. And I will raise up a prophet and that prophet will guide my people. And if you study carefully verses 15 through 22, you cannot escape the conviction that that prophet spoken of is the prophet of Galilee, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall come and lead the people of God out of the bondage of this world into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Now we live in an age similar to that age. We have come this far by faith as the, the old-fashioned singers presented and sang a while ago. Many in this room have been saved. You know that Christ is in your heart. You have said no to the devil and yes to heaven. You have said no to self and yes to Jesus. You have crossed the Red Sea. That is, you have left behind you the Egyptian bondage of the old life. You are no longer in bondage to self and sin. You are no longer headed for hell. You have been delivered from that. But some have come to Kadesh Barnea. And God has said all you have to do is go in and possess it. But rather than going in and possessing the land, we've had faith failure. And some have wandered in the wilderness of sin. And we're living in an age, a world, where even God's people, because of faith failure, are wandering in the wilderness of sin without proper discernment. And because there is no inner power of the Holy Spirit, they are dabbling in this and this and this in order to get the answers to their questions and problems. Now, it is no wonder that the world is visiting fortune tellers and using Ouija boards and all the occult to try to get us in touch with another world to find out what's going to happen here. But when God's people who are called by God's name involve themselves in this, the Bible says this is an abomination to the Lord. And I want to speak tonight on this subject. Ouija boards the occult, the devil, and what to do about it. Halloween will be observed this Tuesday night. It is October 31st, and it is the evening preceding the church festival of All Hallows or All Saints Day.
Now, isn't it interesting how the devil has moved in on what was supposed to be a church holiday, a day when you remembered all saints? But perhaps this is not so surprising because the Bible nowhere tells us to honor saints. God will take care of honoring the saints. And we do not have to have an All Saints Day. From its supernatural associations, it has always been connected with fortune-telling and foretelling the future. In English-speaking countries, the young people and children devote the evening to masquerading, to merrymaking, to fortune-telling, and to traditional games. In America, we use the evening for trick or treat. Today, there is a widespread interest in Satanism, witchcraft, Ouija boards, astrology, palm reading, and all of those things. Spiritism is the belief that people survive death as spirits, that they can communicate with the living through a medium, a person having a special psychic gift. Anton Sandor LaVey is pastor of what is called the First Satanic Church in San Francisco. And he leads in devil worship and is practicing this activity throughout the Western world, through many mission stations around the world. There is a church of Satan in Louisville. And some time ago, there was started a mission church of, station of Satan in Bowling Green. I have not heard about its welfare recently. I do not know how it is doing. But I'll tell you, everybody's getting in on this. Even the soap companies have produced a soap called The Devil's Potion, and they make this available at Halloween time. If you want to look at it, it's here after the service tonight. The late Bishop James Pike, grieving over the suicide of his son Jim, observed strange occurrences in his Cambridge apartment. And this led him to think that his son, who had committed suicide, was seeking to communicate with him. He attended a number of seances in which he said Jim spoke to him and he to Jim. And incidentally, Bishop Pike later took a trip to the Holy Land. And he went over into that land of down toward the Jericho Road on one side, are the caves of Qumran, a terrible land of almost no man's land. And James Pike wandered around in that land, and they found him several weeks later dead by himself, and no one knows how he died. Gene Dixon is one of the leading in the, leaders in the occult today as a palm reader, a psychic, and somebody who is constantly telling her predictions. You don't have to search long to find in some magazine, some paper, some predictions by Gene Dixon. Gene Dixon, Gene Dixon is the seer of today. She is the one to whom the presidents and the kings go. For instance, it is said that Gene Dixon, and of course she's been practicing her mediumship, for a number of years. And Jean Dixon is the woman to whom President Roosevelt turned when he was going to the Yalta Conference. And he wanted to know what was the best procedure. And when he returned from Yalta, 
he asked Miss D he asked Miss Dick Dixon to come to see him. And she came. And he asked her about his decisions at Yalta. He held his hand out. And without telling her, supposedly, this is the story, without telling her what they were, Gene Dixon said, Mr. Roosevelt, these decisions will lead the world to the brink of disaster. And he said, how long have I got to carry out what I'm going to do? And she says in her words, in her memoirs, I read his palm and I felt the vibes and I determined he didn't have very long and I was silent. Mr. Roosevelt said, I ask you how long do I have? And she was silent again. He said, do I have a year? And she was silent. He said, do I have six months? And finally she said, Mr. President, you have less than six months. And so from her own testimony, the psychic Gene Dixon warned President Roosevelt of his coming death. And he knew what he was facing because he had been listening to her. Miss Dixon is also the one who tried to get hold of Mr. Kennedy to warn him not to go to Dallas. And she warned a number of people that Mr. Kennedy would be shot in Dallas. Somebody will say, how did she know all of these things? Does she get her power from God? You remember that she talks about God a whole lot. She talks about Jesus a whole lot. She even talks about the second coming of Christ. And she has a plan. And she knows, she says that on February 5th, a number of years ago, I think 1964 or something, a little boy was born in the Mideast and he is destined to become a great leader in the world, a world savior, and he will reveal himself for what he is in the 1980s, the early 1980s. And finally, she thought at first that he would be the Messiah. Then she came out later and said, this will be the Antichrist. And somebody will say, how does Gene Dixon know all of these things? Well, I submit to you, the Bible tells us that the devil knows what's going on in this world. He is not ignorant. He knows. And the psychics and the seers get their promises and their word not from the Lord God, but from Satan. Now, Satan is not the opposite of God. God is all sovereign, all powerful. He knows all things. There is nothing hidden from his view. Satan, on the other hand, knows much, but he has a limited view. He knows more than we know. But he is not the opposite of God. Satan is a created being, and the Scripture says in Isaiah 14 and other related passages, he was created, he rebelled against God, and God allowed him to lead a terrible rebellion of the angels. And there are angels who are demons who hate God and hate everything God stands for, and they lead a revolt in the universe. And one day these angels and Satan will be chained for a thousand years, and eventually they will be cast into the lake of fire which burneth, burneth with fire and brimstone forever and forever. But the seers get their work and their ministry from the devil. Now, one of the ways you can tell whether a prophet is a prophet of God, that is, a seer, a psychic, whether he's a psychic from God, the Bible says that a prophet who prophesies and predicts the future is always 100% correct. He never makes a mistake. But the seers and the prophets of the devil can foretell some of the future events and hit them right on the head 
but they will not be 100% correct. You check out all these seers, and you read as we approach the end of the year, the magazines will be filled with the predictions for 1979. You read them, and you'll find some of them tell things just that are exactly going to happen. You keep up with them through the year. But all of them miss it at some points because they do not get their information from God but from Satan. Sybil Leake calls herself a witch. She claims eight million witches are in the world today. In Europe, there are more people making a livelihood through the practice of the occult than the total number of people engaged in the Christian ministry. No wonder Europe is in the awful shape it's in. No wonder England is in the condition it's in. No wonder America is in the condition we're in. Universities are offering courses in the occult. The best-selling novel in 1971 and 72 and the movie was The Exorcist. It tells the terrifying story of a child who became demon-possessed through experimentation with the Ouija board. The Ouija board is an ancient piece of occult equipment. In 540 B.C., Pythagoras' day, it was popular. It was known to the ancient Egyptians. It was called the witch board. And from that, the witch board became the Ouija board. It is 18 inches long and 12 inches wide, numbers 0 to 9, letters of the alphabet with the words yes and no and goodbye. And a person can sit down at the Ouija board and can move his hand across it. And if he, if he has any kind of psychic background or psychic vibes in him sometimes those can get in tune with the underworld and can move in such a position that they begin to give answers and predictions that the person otherwise would not know I read the account of a girl who was very pure a wonderful young lady she had great insight great abilities somebody induced her to work with a Ouija board she sat down at the Ouija board and began to move the numerals around and pretty soon she found her hands almost drawn and she discovered that there was psychic ability within her being. And at first they were perfectly harmless and she enjoyed it. And then there came such obscene things and such suggestions to this pure, wonderful girl that she fled from it and put it away and hid her face in tears and shame. But there was such a fascination for this Ouija board that after a while she got it back and she again began to deal with it. And it did something to her mind and something to her life that almost destroyed her life and it did destroy her purity. I want to say to you tonight, it is a dangerous thing for God's people to deal with the occult in any way. The scripture strictly forbids it. It is not God's plan nor God's will for a Christian to have anything to do with fortune tellers or palm readers or Ouija boards or the occult in any form, any fashion. And incidentally, the word for drugs in the Bible is sorcery. It is from a word in the original language which has to do with the pharmacy. And sorcery and the sorcerer and the woman with familiar spirits 
and those who deal with Ouija boards and fortune-telling are all so closely combined that it is difficult in the Scripture to see where one is being condemned without the other being condemned. And so we understand that Ouija boards, the occult, fortune-teller, palm-reading, the psychics, and drugs, and all of it fit into the same scheme of the devil. And I believe God led me tonight to bring this message as a warning. I have no idea why. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's right on the brink of stepping into an avenue like this. Or maybe there's someone here who has already been experimenting in these areas. And God can use what we're saying tonight to warn and to urgently plead with you to turn back, turn away from these things that would cause detriment and personal spiritual injury to your heart and your life. Now the Bible has much to say concerning this. In 1 Samuel 28, the Scripture speaks of Saul. Saul was a man who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was king in those days. But Saul became insane with jealousy over David. And David decided to destroy, Saul decided to destroy David. He got so much out of his mind and so much off of God, so much away from the Lord, if Saul was ever really a Christian. There's some scriptural evidence to support the idea that Saul never was saved to begin with. But at any rate, Saul got so far away from any kind of encounter with God that at the end of his life, he was fighting a battle with the Philistines. And he was going to fight tomorrow on a certain battlefield. And he didn't know how to pray because he'd already told Samuel to disappear, scram, get gone. Samuel had tried to help him. And, uh, Dave, and Saul said, I don't want to see your face anymore. And Samuel said, all right, you will see my face again no more. And Saul didn't know what to do. And in a moment of extreme emergency, in a moment of just utter despair, he arranged a meeting with a woman with familiar spirits. He wanted to know what about tomorrow. He wanted to know about the battle. God never planned for one of his people to find out from some other source about tomorrow. God said, I'll reveal to you what you need to know about tomorrow. You do not need to mess with fortune tellers and other kinds of occult to find out about tomorrow. I'll tell you all you need to know, and I want you to walk by faith as this group has sung tonight. I want you to go forward by faith. And so Saul visited the woman at Endor. He disguised himself and went in and sat in front of her and said, would you bring back to me the spirit of Samuel? Now, I don't understand all that 1 Samuel 28 means, but in a way that's beyond our understanding, that witch of Endor brought back a vision of Samuel. And Saul was convinced that it was the voice of Samuel. Now, whether it was or not, I don't know. The Scripture seems to suggest it was. This was done under the power of the devil. And Samuel, Saul asked, what about the battle tomorrow? And Samuel said from the dead, tomorrow you will be dead on the battlefield. What a terrible thing for Saul to face. Now, whether this was really Samuel or whether it was some work or trick of the devil, I don't know. The devil knows so much more than we know. We're no match for the devil. Remember that. 
And I'm not honoring the devil tonight. I want to fight him. I'll tell you, if we're going to have revival, we need to know where our battle is, where our enemy is. When Mordecai Ham would go to a revival meeting, the first three sermons he preached was on the devil. Every night, he'd fight the devil. People would make fun of him and talk against him. But he would say, if we're going to have revival, we need to know who the enemy is. The devil is the enemy who tries to divide, who tries to away from the Word of God and into some other method of doing what God wants us to do. The devil did everything he could to get Saul mixed up, and the next day Saul died a suicide on the battlefield of Gilboa. Now, what are we to say about these psychics? And I have a whole file of them here tonight that I could give you. Listen to this. Witchcraft. Its revival has spread to cities and suburbs over the nation, among them Louisville. Is it a religion or a fad or a potential source of evil? And in this, it tells about in the church of Satan how they have a nude woman on the altar, and she is supposed to be a virgin. And then part of the, part of the service of that church of Satan is to commit adultery with this woman. That's part of the witchcraft. Demon possession claims are on the rise. Halloween horrors. A Turkish cult called devil worshipers. A senate told of baby selling. They were selling little babies on a black market, all part of a witchcraft scheme. Unbelievable. The exorcist advisor finds reactions odd. People who saw that had all kinds of mixed up problems. Perhaps one of the problems with America today is that so many Americans went to see that movie and they have their minds all blown. If, if you went to see it, perhaps some of the problems you have are related to that movie you saw. I don't have time to read all these clippings tonight. Sometime you might want to see them. But I tell you, the power of Satan is powerful. The Bible calls Satan by many names. He is called the arch deceiver. He is called Abaddon, the accuser, the adversary, the angel of the bottomless abyss, the Apollon, Belial, Beelzebub, the devil, the god of this world, a murderer, the prince of the devils, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the world, the ruler of darkness, the serpent, the tempter, the unclean spirit, the wicked one. The Bible says the devil has seven main works. He is the god of this world. He contends with the saints. He tempts to disobedience. He stands to accuse the saints. He confuses the word of God. He blinds the minds of the lost. And he is destined for judgment. The Bible says that Satan one day will face the disaster and tragedy that comes with the end of sin. Because Bible, the Bible declares the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, wrath, factions, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and the like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they who do such things 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God has put a, a judgment on sin, and that judgment is going to be carried out. In Isaiah chapter 57, the Bible says, Isaiah 57, verse 20, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips with, have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. And in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto, unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The wages of sin have never been altered. The wages of sin is death. Listen carefully to this. God says there are seven things about sin we need to know. Number one, sin earns wages. Number two, sin pays wages. Number three, sin insists on paying wages. Number four, sin pays its wages in its kind. A sin against the body results in bodily dying. Sin in the mental life results in mental dying. Sin in contact with other people brings on results affecting those others. It is terribly true. No man sinneth to himself. Number five, sin pays on the installment plan. Number six, sin pays in full if not stopped by the forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ. And number seven, sin is self-executive. It pays its own bills. There is something built into sin that brings its own result. You sin against your body, there's a natural built-in judgment. No man escapes the wages of sin, for the wages of sin is death. You here tonight, if you've never been saved, you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, remember that the wages of sin is death. That's a high wage. It has never been altered. The cost of a low li living is high. And I tell you, I believe inflation has made it even higher. You cannot sin and get by with it. What are we to do about sin then? What are we to do about the occult? What are we to do about psychics? What are we to do about all these things? I'll tell you, let's throw a blanket of the love of God across it. Let's throw a blanket of the blood of Jesus across it and plead the blood of Christ. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We need to repent of sin, turn away from sin, turn away from whatever we've been doing, turn back to God. Isaiah chapter 1, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from your, of your doings from my eyes. Learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now what are Christians to do? In the light of all this, I want to say to you, we need to travail. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 66, 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? 
Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. I believe that God's people called by God's name need to be involved in travailing. That is, we need to agonize. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, writing to the Colossian Christians, says concerning the Colossians and the Laodiceans, I have a struggle in my soul about you. I have a struggle, a conflict. And the word in the original language is the word agon, A-G-O-N. And it's the word from which we get agony. And Paul was saying, I agonize for you Colossians. Why was he saying that? Because in Colossians chapter 2, he unveils all the false teachings, all the coverts of the devil, how the devil was trying to get into the Colossian church and hurt it and tear it up and destroy its members and injure it from its major task of evangelism and soul winning. And Paul said, I have agon, conflict, struggle in my soul for you. I agonize for you. And I want to say to you, that's what we need. We need the agony of soul for God's people. We need the agony of soul for lost people. And this is the same word, the root word that is used in the Hebrew in Isaiah 68 where it says, I, when Zion travails, she brought, in, Zion, in Isaiah 66 verse 8, when Zion travails, she brings forth children. When we travail, when we agonize for one another, when we agonize for the lost, then we're going to see the results. I want to say to you, travail built the early church. You remember Jesus prayed all night. Just a day or so before they crucified him at Jerusalem, Jesus went up in a hill and looked down at all those whom he knew were his enemies. He knew they hated him. He knew that the next day they would crucify him. And the Bible says Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He agonized. And he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered thee, but you would not. The apostles agonized. The apostle Paul agonized. One day he said, I could wish myself accursed from the people of God. I could wish myself to go to hell if it would save the lost. He had agon in his soul because of the moving power of Satan and of hell in the earth. Polycarp was a disciple of John. He took John's place when John passed off the scene. When Polycarp was in his 80s, they came to arrest him. They said to that man, you're an old man. You've served and talked about Jesus all these years. Let's see if this Jesus you preach will deliver you now. And they turned against him. And they spit on him and they hurt, tried to hurt him. And they said, now if you'll recant and if you'll take back some of the things you've been preaching, we'll deliver you. Polycarp said, sirs, I've served my king for over 80 years. He's never de deserted me. I'm not going to desert him. And they led Polycarp out to be killed. Savonarola was one of God's great preachers in Naples and Italy. He used to preach, and people wouldn't, sometimes didn't like what he preached. Sometimes they got mad at him, his own congregation. Sometimes they would refuse. They said, I'm going to go somewhere else to church because I don't like the way you preach. I don't like what you do. In, in reading one of his stories, I was interested to read that they accused Savonarola. One thing they accused him of is that he preached the same thing too many times. They said, all you do is preach on this thing, and you preach on these same texts, and you use these things. 
get something else to preach or don't be our preacher. And one day they finally arrested Savonarola. It was in the day when the government controlled the church and the church the government. And they arrested Savonarola and his own membership turned against him and he went out on the streets and preached. And finally they said, Savonarola, you can't preach like that anymore. He was calling Naples to conviction, calling Naples from sin, from the worship of the devil and pointing out the evils of his day. And they put Savonarola to death for preaching the word of God. Think of Huss who was burned at the stake. Think of Origen who died as a martyr. Think of John Bunyan who wrote that wonderful book called Pilgrim's Progress from a prison where he spent 15 years because he believed that a Baptist ought not to have to register with the government but could go out and preach like he wanted to preach whatever God told him to preach. John Bunyan was put in prison. Think of Georgie Vims tonight who is in a prison in Russia because the Russian government said you cannot preach to children. You cannot talk to children about Jesus. You cannot religiously educate the children or the young people. And Vim said, I don't care what government says. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. And he was out there preaching and baptizing the converts and they arrested him and he's today in a Russian prison for preaching the word of God. A Baptist believing like you and I believe. Think of, think of the author of Normal Christian Life, that wonderful watchman knee. Wonderful Chinese preacher. If you've read some of his books, you know about him. Watchman Nee preached and preached and preached until the communists came and took over the, over the government of China. And you know how they got the people then? Now notice how they did it. In China, they used a little bit different method from the one they used in other places. They said, we're going to inaugurate a system whereby everybody's going to have to analyze its own group. And so you get your groups together. If you're a, a club, you get your club together. If you're a church, you get your church together, whoever you are. And you sit together in little cells, and we will have our representatives there. And then we want you to talk to each other just as seriously and critically as you can. You talk to each other about your faults. Now that sounds pretty good. It even sounds Christian. Confess your faults one to another. And in that little cell, of course, anybody that preaches the word is going to have some enemies. And so this pastor had enemies that didn't like him, wanted to destroy him. But not only the pastor, but the other Christians, everybody. So they began to go around the circle and they were critical of each other and pointed out each other's faults and pointed out some of the things and who doesn't have faults. And as a result of that, there were several weeks of silence and the church went on. And then one day, almost everybody in that circle, especially the pastor, got a summons to come to the court. Now you can read this. It's documented in his life story. Watchman Nee was summoned to the court. And in the court, they read a whole list of charges against Watchman Nee. And out beside it, they read the person who brought the charge, and the persons who brought those charges were members of his own church. And Watchman Nee looked at this, and he couldn't answer it. And the members of the church began to find out, and they went to appeal to the court. 
And the gavel was slammed down and said, it's too late. You've said these things. Our representative was there who heard you. And Watchman Nee was put in prison. His church was closed. And little by little by little, the churches all over China were closed and nailed up. Today, there's no open church in China. There are underground churches, but no open church. I want to tell you, this is the way the devil operates. But dear friend, I want to urge you to travail. Watchman Nee travailed all the time he was in that communist prison for 20 years. He died on June 3rd, 1973. A short while before he died, he wrote to a relative. He, in those, all those 20 years, that prolific writer, that great preacher, was never allowed to mention the name of Jesus. But in the end of his life, he wrote to us a relative, I have learned how to contain my joy. And his relative understood what that meant. He knew how to maintain his Christian joy even in the face of all kinds of obstacles and hurdles. Today, Lester Roloff faces the same thing. Lester Roloff in our own America faces possible imprisonment for taking stands spiritually that he feels are stands he ought to take. He has travailed. Ladies and gentlemen, what am I saying? I'm saying if we want to do something valuable, if we want to do something that really is going to accomplish something, we need to travail. And that word travail means to agonize. And if we're going to overcome the wicked one, if we're going to overcome the devil, devil, if we're going to overcome the powers that would divide, that would hurt, then we need to travail before God. We need to wait before God. We need to pray. And if we're going to, to be overcomers, in trying to reach the lost in our day, those who are hard to reach, those whose minds are set against God, we need to travail before God for God to give us the patience and the love and the faith to just blanket that person with God's love. Brother Mark said in our training union tonight a wonderful truth. He said, we are in the business of witness or warning. Winning or warning, that's what witnesses are. We are winners or warners, and we must go out travailing in our hearts and our agony of soul, concerned toward God, concerned about the lost, in love with Jesus, fearing nothing but God, and hating nothing but the devil, and going out, conquering and to conquer. And I'll tell you, friends, when we do that, we're not going to have time to get all messed up in our personal lives. We'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will use us. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our hearts humbled before the Lord. I believe there are people in this room tonight who need to come to Jesus. You need to step out and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I want to yield my life to Christ. Would you ask God for the power to do that right now, right where you sit? If you're already saved and you need to take a new stand for the Lord, would you just say, Lord, I want to put my life on the line for you. I want to be what you want me to be. Oh, our Father, baptize us tonight with the love of Jesus. May we have the fullness of the power of God upon our lives so that we're afraid of no one or nothing but God. 
and hate nothing but the devil and sin. Oh, God, build a fire around us, a wall of fire, that it might keep out the enemy and the evil one, and that we might be warmed by the fire of thy spirit, a fire and a blaze to win the loss to Jesus. Give us earnestness and sincerity. And Father, for those who are here without Jesus tonight, may they come to Christ. May this be God's night of victory. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. Please keep in mind this is God's invitation, not mine, it is His. I appreciate your patience tonight, your faith and faithfulness. The Lord bless you. If you're here without Jesus, you've never been saved, you've never come to Christ, I want to urge you to come to Jesus just like you are, without one plea but that his blood was shed for thee. Will you come? God's Spirit has touched your heart. Will you step out for him? Some of you may have already been saved before you came here, but you haven't confessed it. Maybe you were saved in your home. Maybe some soul winners came to see you and talked to you about Jesus. And you need to come and take a stand for God. Would you do it? The Scripture says, Jesus' own words, He that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever denieth me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Won't you come to Jesus tonight? God help you to do it. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you concerning some other area of your life, will you take a stand for the Lord? Do whatever God's Spirit has spoke, spoken to you about. I believe there's some that ought to move your letter here tonight. Take a stand for God. Some ought to come and say, I want to be a soul winner. I want to do what God wants. While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the king? Will you come quickly?